This is The Space Shot, episode 196, for November 26th, 2017. The Voyage Home. Hey everyone, welcome to The Space Shot, your daily space history, pop culture, and news fix. I'm John Mulnix. On November 26th, 1986, Star Trek IV The Voyage Home was released in theaters. It arrived over the Thanksgiving weekend, pitting the crew of the Enterprise up against movies like Crocodile Dundee, and ultimately Star Trek dethroned Crocodile Dundee from its eight-week run at the top of the box office. I hadn't watched The Voyage Home in years, and I had forgotten how many comical one-liners were in this movie. It is rated PG for some adult language and situations, and it's probably the best of the original series movies to watch with kids, even if a few of the jokes will probably sail right over their heads. The plot of the movie starts with a giant cylindrical probe that looks suspiciously like Oumuamua, the extrasolar asteroid that was recently discovered by astronomers. In the voyage home, this massive cylindrical whale probe is traveling towards Earth, disabling starships and star bases as it passes by, draining their energy reserves. Naturally, as is the case in Star Trek, no one is able to identify the sound the probe is emitting, but Spock and Uhura manage to do so with a busted old Klingon bird of prey computer, and they decipher that the noise belongs to a humpback whale, which at, by this point in the future is extinct. Scotty, how long is this bay? About 60 feet, Admiral. Can you enclose it to hold water? I suppose I could. You're planning to take a swim? Off to the deep end, Mr. Scott. We've got to find some humpbacks. Humpbacked people? Whales, Mr. Scott. Whales. About 45 to 50 feet long. About 40 tons each. You're really going to try time travel in this rust bucket? We've done it before. Sure, slingshot around the sun, pick up enough speed, you're in time warp. If you don't, you're fried. Would you prefer to do nothing? I prefer a dose of common sense. You're proposing that we go backwards in time, find humpback whales, then bring them forward in time, drop them off, and hope to hell they tell this probe what to go do with this cell. That's the general idea. Well, that's crazy. You got a better idea? Now's the time. After a trippy time travel sequence, the crew arrives at Earth, and they're not really prepared for what life is like in the 1980s, with many amusing things happening to them as they traverse San Francisco. Uhura and Chekhov sneak aboard the USS Enterprise aircraft carrier to siphon off energy from one of its nuclear reactors, but before they can do that, they must find the naval base at Alameda. Excuse me, sir. Can you direct me to the naval base in Alameda? It's where they keep the nuclear vessels. Nuclear vessels. Meanwhile, Kirk and Spock are traversing the city, where they find two humpback whales at a marine institute. I'd forgotten how much I enjoyed this movie, and I think it's easily the funniest of all of the Star Trek movies. Spock's use of colorful metaphors cracks me up. It's really awkward to hear in parts because he's never cursed before, and really doesn't understand how to do that. Your use of language has altered since our arrival. It is currently laced with, shall I say, more colorful metaphors. Double dumbass on you, and so forth. You mean the profanity? Yes. That's simply the way they talk here. Nobody pays any attention to you unless you swear every other word. 
You'll find it in all the literature. On a more somber note, this movie begins with a silent tribute to the crew of the space shuttle Challenger. They had lost their lives shortly before principal photography started for Star Trek IV. This tribute reads, quote, The cast and crew of Star Trek wish to dedicate this film to the men and women of the spaceship Challenger, whose courageous spirit shall live to the 23rd century and beyond. I do have one piece of space history to cover for today. On November 26, 1985, the space shuttle Atlantis launched on the STS-61B mission. This mission is notable for three reasons. Atlantis carried Rodolfo Neri Vila into orbit, where he became the first Mexican astronaut. As of 2017, he's still the only Mexican astronaut, something which could change in the coming decades as greater access to commercial spaceflight becomes available. STS-61B was also the fastest turnaround for a space shuttle, with just 54 days between flights for Atlantis. The space shuttle was designed to be rapidly reused, with only a two-week turnaround initially quoted, but reusability is tricky and rapid reusability even more so. Currently, SpaceX is working towards a 24-hour turnaround for the first stage of the Falcon 9, but right now the record for the fastest turnaround is 157 days. I'm sure there will be a multitude of tweets from Elon Musk when SpaceX breaks the turnaround time of the space shuttle. The third reason this mission is important is it was the first time that tortillas were carried into space. Space sandwiches were never the same after this mission. Since you're here, why don't you let me know what you think of the podcast by leaving a review on iTunes. It takes just a minute to do that, and it makes a huge difference because it helps even more people find the show. As always, the show notes have more information on today's episode. You can hit me up on Instagram and Twitter. Find me at John Molnix. I'm always up to chat. You can also connect with me on Facebook. Just search the space shot or click the link in the show notes. Tomorrow, Mars 2. I'm John Molnix, and I'll catch you on the flip side.